9 a.m. All right, everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 7, verse 20. And Jesus speaking here, he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, everybody say within. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Hallelujah. Notice in verse 22, pride. It is a sin of the heart. That's where most sins come from. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word and to gather together in your name. And we pray, O oh Lord God, that as we look into the word of life, that your spirit would speak to each and every one of us. Help us, O oh Lord God, to examine ourselves, each and every one, O oh Lord, looking at our own life, our own heart, our own soul, and to see if there's anything in us, any wicked way in us that needs to be cleansed and needs to be separated from. Help us today, O oh God, that we would do the things that are most pleasing in your sight, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And let everyone say amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Hallelujah. I look forward to that, uh, to that baby dedication of Savannah this Sunday morning. We're going to have that too. And uh, we've got an exciting weekend. I'm telling you, I'm excited about what God's doing. Uh, some of you weren't here Monday, but uh, last night in the afternoon, uh, we baptized uh, Sister Natalie Reese's husband in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great start. Just, just keep on praying for him. Keep on praying for him. His name is Andrew. All right. Uh, in this particular uh, segment of scripture that we just read, Jesus speaks to his disciples about religious externalism because they asked him why they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus said, you know, I'm not so much concerned about what goes in the mouth, I'm more concerned about what comes out of the mouth. Hallelujah. And he said, we're defiled from the inside out rather than the outside in. And eating with unwashed hands does not defile us spiritually. Because indeed, God is more concerned with what comes out of our mouths than what goes into it. And so this segment of scripture gives us a 13-part list that exposes the kind of evil that resides in the human heart. In fact, you know, our heart can deceive us. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this, and I'm sorry, Kegel, I did not give the scripture to you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Well, the Lord can, but many times we don't know it. We don't realize that a lot of these sins are inside, resident in us. Amen. And so we have to know the word of God and understand it and, and, and see how God sees us and then ask God to help us see the things that are in there we need to clean out. Praise God. And of course, pride is one of those sins, one of those 13 things that resides in the human heart and that does need to be dealt with. And that's what, why we're speaking about it tonight. 
So you don't need to go a long distance to, to find uh, the source of these sins. You don't need to conduct an exhaustive search. All you have to do is to look inside of your own heart. And every outward act of sin is preceded by an inward act of choice. Among evil thoughts and adulteries, fornications, murders, etc., there's pride. Now, in the Bible, there are several root words in both the Greek and Hebrew language, and we reference those languages all the time because, as you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament, most suspect, was written in Greek first. Uh, in any case, you have this, this Hebrew and Greek, and those languages are very specific languages. Uh, this is why even in modern medicine and, and uh, legalese, meaning attorneys and, and the law, they use Greek and Latin words because they're such specific languages. But Hebrew is too. It's the language of God, particularly in the Hebrew. So when we look at uh, the Bible and we look at uh, several root words in, in Greek and Hebrew, uh, in these languages, uh, the, 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 the word pride or proud is translated into the English words. And these Hebrew and Greek words in various forms also combine to give us other words which are similar to pride, such as haughty or vain or boastful, arrogant, disdainful, high-minded. And whatever the words, they, they always go back to that source attitude, which is pride. Now, in the Old Testament, we just look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew words for pride meant about eight different things. One, for example, is to mount up or rise. To be insolent, like Cain was to God. Am I my brother's keeper? To swell up or be high up is another translation. Another meaning for pride in Hebrew is to appear above. It's like you appear like you're above everybody else. Or to ascend, to climb higher, to aspire to majesty even. Haughtiness, or to presume, meaning presumptuous. You presume you can do something simply because of your self-estimation is a lot higher than it really is. And you become presumptuous, begin to act beyond your limits of authority or your personality, the person that you are or the person you should be. That's Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek, of course, is so influential. And the Greek words used to describe pride meant to inflate and to boast or to brag. That, that's, in essence, it. So when you look at all these descriptions of pride, basically the sin of pride occurs when we in some way leave or refuse to occupy the proper place in God's design. And it's interesting to me that we have in this country now, around the world, really, a whole month, the month of June, that is dedicated to celebrate and exhibit pride. And it especially focuses on a group of people who refuse to occupy their proper place in God's design. You catch that? We find that this is exactly what happened to Lucifer in heaven. When he rebelled against God and the angels that followed him in rebelling against God and, and they became demons. 
for whom hell was created until the time of the final judgment. You know, as you know, hell is a temporary place for the devils and angels. And eventually, uh, death, hell, all that will be cast into the lake of fire. That's the final judgment. So hell is a temporary place. It was never meant for human beings. But the time of final judgment is coming. And God will deal with them. But this is why in Jude 6, uh, the writer is talking about the example of the angels, how God dealt with them. And as you, you, you know, I've preached about this before. Jude is so strategically placed at the very end of the Bible, right before Revelation, the apocalypse. As God deals with humanity at the end of time and when everything comes to close and, and Jude is there to warn us that, that all of these other people that knew God and knew him from real proximity, real close to him, look what happened to them and they lost out. And now that you know the entire Bible unfolded before you and you have it in black and white in writing and you have it from the lives of prophets and, and, and apostles and, and godly men and Jesus Christ himself who was God manifest in the flesh. Be careful what you do with this knowledge. Make sure you don't neglect this truth and the great beauty of your salvation. And so in Jude 6, he mentions the angels. And in Jude 6, in the King James Version, which I'll read in NLT 2 in a minute, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. New Living Translation, because remember, according to the definition of pride, one is to leaving that place, that proper place where God has assigned us. And God assigned the angelic beings, Lucifer, and all the other angels to this certain place of duty and authority. And when Satan wanted to leave that and ascend higher, it's when he stepped out of line. And that's when he fell. And so look what it says in the New Living Translation in Jude 6. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. Incidentally, it's the same principle that God uses in 1 Corinthians 11 to explain why God requires a difference in the length of hair between men and women. And it has to do with the fact that there is to be a maintaining, a maintenance of the separation of the sexes as well visibly and outwardly be a show that the Christian believes in the order of man's and woman's creation. The proper order is the order of creation. That man was created first, woman was created second, and that woman came out of man. And they are to keep their proper place in the hierarchy of spiritual authority, both in the home and in the church. And God says, when you wear your, heart, your, your hair short, men, you're, re you're reflecting your uncoveredness before God. Because you were created first. You're saying, I accept God, that you made me first. And I also accept that the woman came out of me, the first woman, Eve, came out of Adam, it did not come out of the ground. It did not come from anywhere else. She did not, God did not create it from any other source. It came out of man. And, and the way that you wear your hair, men, and of course women, that their hair is long, mean that you're covering. 
You're showing outwardly that you accept God's order of creation and God's hierarchy of authority. And when you cut your hair, for example, I'll just use one example of women, and you're shortening your hair, meaning you're ascending to that position that God did not put you in. You're ascending to be want to be like a man. Now, maybe that's not what the motivation is, because the world puts other reasons for you want to do that, right? Because it's the fashionable thing to do. And so on. So I don't want to go any deeper into that. My point is that this same principle is used to explain in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to the church in the New Testament why this, this, this length of hair between men and women is so important. It's not, it's not to anybody else. I'm talking to believers. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about apostolic people who, who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if he's your Lord and Savior, well, you've got the word of God. And his ordinances to follow. And 1 Corinthians 11 calls this an ordinance along with foot washing and communion along with communion. Hallelujah. So, uh, pride. Pride is, is usually exhibited in three ways. And I will look at the three ways that pride is usually manifested in. Now, first of all, pride is, is, uh, is, is manifested when we improperly estimate our own self-worth. When you improperly estimate your own self-worth. Romans 12.3, Paul addresses this. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, the statement does not say that you shouldn't estimate yourself. You should. But you should do it within reason and do it right. That's the point. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the point is don't think of yourself any higher than you ought to. Amen. Uh, but to think soberly according as God has dealt every man the measure of faith. See, sometimes we, we read and hear about people who have a problem with, with low self-esteem. And low self-esteem causes a variety of, of problems uh, as a result of that. Uh, and the different condition it causes. But pride is the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite problem. It's a proud person has too high of an estimation of itself. Not undercuts their value. They have an inflated estimation of their own value. And this heightened estimation of self is... Is, is, is also noticeable in, in various ways. Number one, when someone has a high estimation of themselves, too high, it's first of all manifested by arrogance. Not to say just the first and foremost, but one of the ways. It's arrogance. Somebody who is, is inflating himself. It's thinking that one's rights take precedence over others. It's a complete disregard for other people's feelings or their rights. It's me that counts. What I think, what I feel, what I believe. Second of all, this heightened estimation of self can also be manifest in boasting. It's setting forth somebody's own talents, your possessions, actions as superior because they come from you. So naturally, I'm the best. Right? <laughs> Hallelujah. I know he said it. 
I, I used to joke all the time, and this was, you know, Muhammad Ali, remember him? I'm the best. I'm the best. There's nobody like me. You know. Hallelujah. Amen. He, that was, that was a, a tagline for him. Now, this is really great. It was, it was basically trash talk in many ways. But, but with people, some people, it's, it's real. No, that's not just trash talk. It, they believe it. They, they boast about themselves and their talents and what they have and, and their actions. And I don't know too many people that do that, but I know one. <laughs> I'm not going to mention his name. And I said, that's his. Oh, my goodness. That is a partial identification. And it's not in his church, by the way. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Hey, hallelujah. Hey, I, I don't know what's in your heart, except what comes out your mouth. And now I know. In part, anyway. But boasting, it's, it's, it's your talents, your possessions. Look what I got. Look what I've done. Look where I've been. It's boasting. And then it can be also manifest as self-righteousness. It's assuming that our conduct and our ideas about God and how to obey certain things and our lifestyle is better because they come from me. And because I'm the best, you know, I'm nobody else is as good as me and I'm above you because I'm so good, I'm so great. And that, of course, gives rise to the next one, it's haughtiness. It's to assume that we are essentially more valuable than the other person because of the position that we hold in society or, or because of our talent. For example, royalty. <laughs> hmm? Anybody here, princes and princesses and kings? We got them today with this. Great Britain has it. Belgium has kings. Denmark does. Norway does. Some Scandinavian countries do. Monaco does. They did. I'm not sure if they still have it. Praise God. Spain did. There are a lot of countries still have kings and queens and princes. And, and they feel a certain entitlement. They fa they, they, I, 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 I really hard, hardly believe that they, you know, they, that they feel that they're more important and more valuable than the average person. I've met people in Eastern Europe who are professionals who have looked down on other people. In fact, I've heard them say that the simple people should not be allowed the right to vote simply because they're not intellectual enough. You just don't have the culture. You don't have the education. You just simply don't know. You're ignorant. You don't know as much as I do. And you know you shouldn't have the right to vote. That's a matter to argue, but, but it, it's certainly a manifestation of this haughtiness that the Bible refers to because of pride. You think yourself more valuable because of your position or your accomplishments. Movie stars, many of them fall into this category. And sometimes it's because of just sheer outward beauty. Beauty can be a great manifestation of pride and, and, and building on that and the way you look. And really, uh, it's something that the devil contended with. It's what caused Lucifer to fall. And became Satan. Ezekiel 28, 17 says, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Another translation, New Living Translation, Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Beauty can affect you. And it can affect the way you look at yourself and estimate yourself and your own worth. 
and it can it can it can mess with your vision and your estimation of value that you place on other people. Some other negative expressions of the, this pride in the same vein is condescension. It's behaving outwardly in a polite way, and yet it, you're implying superiority over them. And in fact, I was trying to think of something at that, uh, that would be an example, and I, I found this example in Matthew 22, verse 15, and that's not in your, in your list, sister, I'm sorry. I just, this is just on the, off the cuff here. You know, when you get a Bible study together, you, you, you always think of other things too. You tack on to it. Hence, that's why I end up, you know, teaching so long. You know, I, just, I just keep stumbling on this, this, and I have a hard time, you know, cutting down. I know I do. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him. That's Jesus in his talk. And they sent unto him their disciples. The Pharisees sent them their disciples. With the Herodians saying, Master, watch what he says. We know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest nor not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or no? See, this condescension, you know what? You, you, you're, yeah, I understand. You're, you're master. And we know that you're true and what you teach is true. So tell us, what, what's your opinion about this? Jesus, verse 18, it says right there, and Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? See the condescension? That's, that's their pride, pharisaical pride, self-righteousness. That comes right out of their heart. I'm worth more than you are. I know more than you are. So if you know so much, you just tell us what the truth is in this matter. And yet they approached him condescendingly. And there are people out there who are like that. They try to share truth with you or their truth that, you, that they think is truth. And they look down on their long noses thinking that they know it all when they really don't know anything at all. And it really stems from self-centeredness. So, again, pride, it, it expresses itself, first of all, as, as an inordinately high estimate or are elevated ver true worth of our own humanity. Now, we could also exhibit pride when, when we measure our worth by the things that we possess. So, again, the first manifestation of pride is this inflated self-worth. The second is, uh, is, is when we begin to measure our worth by the things that we own, the things we possess. John calls this, in 1 John 2.16, the boastful pride of life. I'm going to read to you 1 John 2.15-17, a New Living Translation. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure. The lust for everything we see. And pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from this evil world. And this world is fading away along with everything it craves. But you do. But if you do the will of God, you will live 
forever. Pride in our possessions. Whether it's a car, it's a house, it's an education, it's a name that you made for yourself or a group that you belong to that can make you feel superior because of what you possess or that group that you belong to. I'm talking about status or class. Hallelujah. And so we put on those garbs and we act the part and we, again, in some sense, again, it it inflates our self-worth because of what we own. And much of this this advertising that, that you and I see on television or online, it appeals to this desire in people, right? You'll be cooler. You get this, you'll be cool. You'll be better. You'll be more liked. You'll be smarter if you own these things. And this is why some people will spend an extra 30% on an item just because it's a name brand. Because it would make them feel better about themselves. They kind of feel superficial that they're adding value to themselves as a person because of what they own. And it's sad. Uh, but this, this kind of pride is, is, is what we call pride by identification. It's owning something that makes us feel better than we really are. Better than, than others by owning what we own. Amen. Now, the, the third manifestation, the third way pride comes to this is really this pride of self-sufficiency. I'm sufficient all to myself. I don't need anybody else. I'm a self-made person. And, and, and this, uh, this type of pride is just that. It's just, I don't need anybody else kind of a mentality. And these are the people who believe that they and they alone control their own lives and that whatever they have or whatever they've achieved is the result of their own efforts, their own strength, their own talent, their own smarts. No one else, especially not God, and anything to do with it. And they describe themselves as self-made people. And so they take great pride in their accomplishments and agonize over their defeats more than anybody else. And yet these are the ones that the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 1.22 as professing to be wise. Now mark that down because I'm going to get back to that when we look at the book of Proverbs, how Solomon addresses the people who are wise in heart. And it's, re- it's referring to this, this idea of self-sufficiency. It's this sin of pride manifested in this mentality of, of self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I don't need anything else. As long as I've got my money, I've got my position, my title, i got my land, i got everything I need, I don't need God. It's the self-sufficiency. And so th- this type of pride begins with self as the center of the universe, and it measures everything else in the context of how it will positively or negatively affect my life, me, my self-sufficiency. And so, in summary, with respect to these first two areas of how pride is manifest, inflated self-worth, and we're talking about possessions, and uh, hallelujah, and then we have uh, the desire to be totally self-sufficient, that's leaving God out of the picture. So we we identified what pride is and how it can be manifest, but why is it a sin? Why is it a sin? And that's what I want to look at next. The 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 sin of pride is is 
as we mentioned, exaggerate self-worth, but when we exaggerate our true value, we're guilty, really, of lying about ourselves. When we falsely estimate ourselves, we're lying about ourselves. And pride, in a sense, is this delusion about yourself, of who we really are. And, the, and the, this false sense of self begins in our hearts. And we mentioned this pride. It's Mark 7, 21 through 22. From, for from within, within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, pride. It's from here. Looking at Lucifer again in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For watch this. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of the high of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. But notice in verse 13, he began by saying, For thou hast said in thine heart. Do you know that God is the only one who knows what you're thinking deep down in your heart? And whatever conversations you have with yourself, Whatever you think about accomplishing, doing for self, anything, the way that you relate to self. Now, there's a deep subject in itself. How you relate to yourself, how you talk to yourself, God knows. And God knew Lucifer's heart. And imagine here's the angelic being who doesn't have a physical body like you and me, but he does have a celestial body. Celestial meaning a spiritual body. And yet he has a heart. He's got emotions. He's got senses that, that are similar and identical to ours. And God read him. God read his pedigree. God read his, his heart and his thoughts. And in a split second, he judged him and hell was created instantly. And he and all his followers were cast into hell. Isaiah explained that, that the root of pride is this desire to leave our place from beneath the serenity of God. Lucifer was placed in a certain place. He was the covering cherub. He was to reflect the glory of God. And he said, I will leave where God placed me and I will ascend and rise higher than where he placed me. And his beauty didn't help him. In fact, the Bible says because of his beauty, he became proud in his heart. And he began to think these thoughts. And he began, in his mind, rise to a new and higher place. And, and that's really what happens in us too. It's, it's when, when, when this pride, this root of pride is found in us, we want to rise above the serenity of God also. We want to do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do. We want to get to a higher place and even placing ourselves above him, even as Lucifer wanted to be above God. And that's just, in essence what happened to Adam and Eve, right? When they were tempted with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they, the Lucifer said, well, God just don't want you to be like him. And you eat, you know, of that fruit, you're going to know as much as he will know and you will be like God. And so... 
what a marvelous idea. Just think what I could do if I knew everything that God knows. That I could rise above where I am. Because I'm not satisfied with my, oh, hallelujah. You know, a lot of times it's this, the devil comes around and tries to stir up trouble by stirring dissatisfaction. No wonder Paul put a great premium on contentment. For whatsoever state I find him to be content instead of dissatisfied. No, God doesn't want to withhold any good thing from us. Oh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something different. It's just the pride, just the pride of wanting to sin in a wrong way, with the wrong attitudes and the wrong purpose. Uh, certainly it was so with Lucifer and with Adam and Eve. Paul says that this sin is so pervasive that it infiltrates everyone's heart, even his, to some degree or another. That's why in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, we're not going to read the scripture, we read about uh, God giving him a thorn in the flesh. In fact, in that one verse, he mentions two times, so that I, I will... Uh, not, oh, why did he put it? I'm going to have to say it right. Hallelujah. Here I am again. I don't want to mess this up. And I had it earlier, but I don't have. And lest I should be exalted. He starts with that and finishes with that. He says that twice in this verse. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Two times, before and after, in that, that thought. Paul said, you know what, this, this pride thing, it is so pervasive, it, is, it, it infiltrates every one of us. And I'm no different, and God had to give me a thorn in the flesh to keep me in the right place to make sure that I don't get this attitude that I'm above everybody else. Just because I had all those miracles performed through me, and just because God used me to write 14 books of the New Testament, I'll ask what he say, I'm the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. He kept him safe in the right place. He, he had every reason to boast, and we get to the just a moment. Hallelujah. But it's, it's this evil thought that we're somehow better than what God sees us as. And uh, for those who, who don't believe in God, well, they think they're better because of their inflated value that they put on themselves, period. And it's this kind of thinking in our hearts that drives that arrogance and that boasting of self-righteousness and this haughtiness. Now, when we talk about the sin of pride and possessions, why is that a sin? Why is pride and, and, and our ownership of things so, so terrible? Well, when it comes to, to pride based on the value of our possessions, the sin here is, at its root, idolatry. See, when we draw our value and personal worth from the things that we own, then we are giving these things credit for who we are in the way that we feel about ourselves. Oh, I have this house. I got this car. I have this new suit. I have, you know, whatever. I have all this money. I have all this education. I have all these titles. Oh, my Look, if we, if we think that it's those things that give us our true value as a human being, that we're missing it because it's a form of idolatry. 
especially when we leave God out of the picture. It's a form of worship, self-worship. And we don't even realize it unless we we think about it and, and, and begin to examine ourselves deeply. The worship of an idol is not only confined, it's just bound down before the statue or an image. It, it includes making gods, small g, out of, these, out of these things, things, inanimate objects that we acquire, that we buy, that we purchase, that we attain. And we make gods out of them and, and, and we pursue these things by thinking that they can make us better and make us happy. And if our source of self-worth and happiness and being better is rooted in things, in accomplishments, and all of those things, then we're leaving God out of the picture. And what a disrespectful disregard that is to God, our creator and maker. Psalm 52, 7. That's why it says, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge. I'm reading the New American Standard Bible version. Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. When you're placing your everything, your whole life in the things you possess and acquire, then you're setting yourself up for all kinds of evil. And so, again, we can derive satisfaction from our accomplishments and possessions, and that's normal. It really is to a certain level. But, but when the things become the reason that we think that we are better than others, then our pride is giving these things a life of their own. Your car is no longer just a car. Your job is no longer a job. Your wealth is no longer just a tool that you depend upon and you will use. It becomes an idol that has given you a feeling of confidence and comfort and trust that you should really have in God. Speaking to me. Hallelujah. I'm speaking to myself. Hallelujah. And so that's... uh, uh, the sin in, in possession is the danger of, of idolatry. Then there's the sin of pride again with self-sufficiency. And a self-sufficiency is the type of pride that is most condemned in the Bible because this, this residing in, in this sin is this attitude of denying God and his power over us. It's exaggerating our worth or elevating our worth through possession of things are sins that are committed with an awareness and a knowledge of God. But when you talk about self-sufficiency, it doesn't take into account that, uh, that, 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 that the people who are self-sufficient uh, don't have any uh, knowledge of God or don't give any, any uh, acknowledgement to God. Self-sufficient says that I don't need God and there is no God. It is only me and as far as my world is concerned, I am God. Now, they don't verbalize that open. That's not what I'm saying. But in their, in their thinking, in their actions, their behavior, and the way they live their life, this is what it really said. That's, this is what their life as a statement is. But self-sufficiency says that I don't need God. And therefore, you know, I'm it. And it's this kind of thinking that, that even if not verbally stated, it's so vigorously condemned in Scripture throughout the 
entire Old and New Testament. This is why Job 37 verse 24. Remember, I mentioned to earlier, remember what that word wise uh, stands out for what he's talking about, wise. Um, and Job 37, 24, men do therefore fear him, look unto God. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. It talks about this wisdom of pride, of self-sufficiency, someone who does not regard God uh, and does not give him any credit uh, for the, the, the good things that came their way or for the way that they lived. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked in the hardness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Then again is the New American Standard Bible. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. Another translation says, haughty eyes. It's elevated. It's the way that you look at things. Hallelujah. From a higher position is looking down. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Be careful how you walk. When you walk in that proud look, the way that you look. Hallelujah. When you think that you are somebody, when you think that you're the mountain peak of spiritual experience, and because of that, you're better than everybody else in the church of the living God. Hallelujah. Be careful because you're about to experience a fall. Hallelujah. To think that our position, our talent, our health, our very existence are somehow achieved apart from God is really sinful, disrespectful, that really shows spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. And in, in gratitude. And to think that our goodness is enough to stand before God and be justified him is, is total spiritual ignorance. And to think that we don't need God every moment for everything is indeed against spiritual blindness. This is why the sin of pride is so dangerous. Because it's so pernicious. It's inside of us. and It's hidden. You can't see it. So, the final part of this lesson before I finish tonight. How do we deal with this sin? How do we deal with the sin of pride? When it comes to exaggerated self-worth and, and you tend to manifest your pride in, in bragging, Solomon says you're wasting your breath. It's very foolish to brag about yourself, he says, because people often see the discrepancy between what you say about yourself and the way that you really are. Go ahead and brag all you want, but they see who you are and they hear what you say. And there's a difference between the two. Proverbs 27, 2, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. So he says, a stranger and not thine own lips. Let somebody else say the good things about you and not you about yourself. In another proverb, he says that pride, contrary to our own opinion, brings dishonor and not honor to the person who's bragging. Proverbs 11.2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Because you have a big fall. And then you're ashamed of what you fell into. 
I see a lot of people who've made great accomplishments in life. And I'm going to talk about just Christians in general, but I'm talking about people in the world now. Uh, politicians, sports figures, great athletes. And they have, have, have done great things in their lives and accumulated a great deal of money and that they fall flat on their face either by drug addiction, some kind of criminal activity, uh, other kind of things. And, uh, and it's all too common. And so, so Solomon says, you know, when it comes to pride, look out. Because shame is right on his heels. And we read in Romans 12, 3, this is why Paul tells Christians not to think of themselves better or more highly than they ought to. In other words, we should have rest. We should have an estimate of ourselves, but it should be in line with reality. <laughs> Amen. Be real. We should think no more, no less than who we really are. That takes some prayer and some fasting and really keeping good balance. I think part of temperance as the fruit of the Spirit is just that. It helps us to keep our balance in the way we, we see ourselves and the way we see others. And that's why we have to keep our heart and our feelings in check because our feelings and, and the things in our heart would, would taint those thoughts about ourselves and others. So we got a, we got a heart issue, folks. We got to look in here. We got to deal. We have to carefully reflect upon what's in our heart and what's, what, what, what kind of thoughts come to us. Because one, God knows. The other thing is what's in our heart and comes here. It eventually comes out of mouth and it comes out of our actions and our behavior. So Paul says, don't think higher of yourself any more than you ought to. Yeah, you should have a good estimate of yourself, but be real. And we should not think any more nor any less of ourselves than who we really are. In 2 Corinthians 10, 18, Paul really puts the issue of the self-worth into perspective when he says, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Hallelujah. Right? 2 Corinthians 10.18. Thank you, Jesus. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. In other words, if the Lord approves you, then you're as worthy and valuable as anyone ever can become. How does the Lord approve you? By the way that he uses you. Hallelujah. But it begins right with, you know, when you repent, you're born again. God fills you with the Holy Ghost. You know what that is? That's a seal of approval. You ever hear the good housekeeping seal? <laughs> this is good. It's got our approval. It's one of the best. We can vouch for it. And God, he puts his seal of approval when he filled you with the Holy Ghost. And because of who he is and because of where he is inside of you, it makes you approved of God. It means you are justified and sanctified. Justified as if you have never sinned. Your value is just as good as anybody else. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a pastor. You may not be in the ministry per se as a licensed creature who goes about and does all kinds. No, no, no. You may not be in a higher position of authority. But if you've got God's seal of approval on you, your worth and your value as a Christian is no higher, no less than anybody else. 
Hallelujah. And you may be used like Paul in writing great letters and books and, and you may be used in gifts of tongues and interpretation and all kinds of miracles. That doesn't make you any better. But God approves you and you ought to thank God that he approves you, that he values you and you're somebody special in his kingdom. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Hallelujah. Just remember, others are never impressed by your bragging anyway. But the only legitimate bragging or glorying, if you can say, or you're boasting, the only thing you can boast about is what and how much Christ has done through you. That's what Paul said. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Is our scriptures working? Praise God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. This is the new American Standard Bible again. Okay, My grace is sufficient for you, my, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast. And this is why I chose this translation, because uh, the King James says glory. I will rather glory. But in this sense, it says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses than th- that the power of Christ may dwell in me. If anybody could boast, Paul could. Man, look at all the great things that happened in my ministry. But you know, it was all Christ that did it. We were in the, in the jail, midnight hour. <laughs> Hallelujah. In Philippi. And we began to sing songs, and our hands and our feet were in shackles, and, and we had our backs blooded with, with, with the stripes that they had laid on us. They beat us unjustly. They weren't justified whatsoever. We were persecuted for the Lord. And when we began to sing praise unto God in the midnight hour, an earthquake came. Hallelujah. And everybody's shackles broke off their hands. The prison doors broke wide open. Amen. And the jailer came in trembling. He thought everybody was gone. He was ready to kill himself. But no, we said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And look what happened. That prison, uh, the guard of the prison, that warden got saved. And his whole family, we baptized him in Jesus' name. They were converted and brought to Jesus Christ. What a great thing God did. But he didn't say, I did it. I got a reason to boast, but all I can boast about is the thorn in my flesh. And I'm going to do it. I thank God for those weak points. I thank God for those things that come against me, the things I went through, the shipwreck, the beatings, the persecution, and all those things, because I know that, that when I go through those things, is to keep me humble and keep me in a place where I, I can be of a vessel used unto God. And I know that my worth and my value is not in where I went to school at the feet of Gamaliel. It's not all the accolades I got from the Pharisees, though I am one. I am who I am by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and how he works in me. That's my greatest joy and my boast. Hallelujah. So that's how Paul tells us to deal with this exaggerated self-worth. And then dealing with this pride of, of, of having possessions. And in our country, in our nation in particular, I think you know that the, this form of pride affects us more than anything else. 
we live in a very materialistic society and we tend to judge and value others by what they wear and what they drive and, and how they live. And yet we live in this world, but Jesus said, while we live in this world, we must not be of this world or of their values. And we deal with this kind of pride by, by keeping our priorities in order. How do we become uh, over-materialistic? How, how do we keep things in perspective in order? Well, we do it by keeping our priorities right. And Jesus gave us that prescription in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. See, this commandment requires us to seek first the things that are spiritual in nature. Seek first the spiritual things. Seek first the things of God. Not material things. Not money. Not things. Not things you can possess and own. The things that are temporary will pass away. Seek spiritual things. This includes God's will. God's work. Or how you live your life. Amen. The purpose of your life. These are the things you should should pursue. God's will, God's work, and his purpose for you. In other words, do not work or live your life for things. Instead, work for him. Pray for the knowledge of his will. And be anxious to do what is right, not about pursuit of material things. And when we do that, that he will provide for us everything that we need. Can you say praise the Lord? Lord. Hallelujah. And dealing with the sin of pride and self-sufficiency, the last point is is really one of the most dangerous aspects of this because um, it's so, so hidden. But the first step, of course, is to recognize this, this aspect of pride in your life. And second, then, is to understand how God usually deals with us about this, this kind of pride. The first thing he does, he warns us. God loves us. He chastises us. The Bible is very clear. If you're doing something wrong, you're his child. You're being led by the Spirit. God's going to warn you. He never does anything terrible to you without warning you. He speaks to you. Psalms 49.10. For he seeth that the wise men die, self-sufficient. Here's again, that wise men die, self-sufficient men die. Likewise, the fool and the brutish brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Matthew 23, 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Notice that. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. We're talking about this this aspect of self-sufficiency. I'm my own person. I did it. I did it my way. (laughs) Hallelujah. Nobody else did it. I did it. I did it. And through preaching and teaching of his word, people are warned. And some repent. Others ignore it much, unfortunately, to their own hurt and then eventually to their destruction. 
Stand with me, if you will. And finally, he disciplines us. Hallelujah. Sometimes God breaks a person down through trials and sorrows so that that person will learn to rely on God. Got the example of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? He was out one night looking at his palace and God had everything to do with putting him in the position of power. And he looked around, look at the great Babylon. There's nothing like it. I did this. I did this. And comes the word, seven years. You're going to be a madman until you learn where you got this from. And he went out, remember, his hair grew like, like the feathers on an eagle. He was eating grass. He was drooling. and He was a wild man. He was totally ostracized and, and he went put out of the palace. And he was out there in the wilderness among the beasts. Seven years later, he came to himself, according to the prophecy. His right mind returned to himself and says, boy, was I wrong. It was God all along. There is no one like God. It is he who does all the glory and the praise. He is the one who put me where I am. It is he who helped me build all these things. It wasn't me, but it was him. See, God knows how to challenge uh, and to chastise the people of the world. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, we don't have to worry about the world. God's going to take care of them. God's going to take care of them. He's going to take care of the church too. But don't try to fit their mold. Don't try to do the things they do because this, this world is coming apart. This world's going down. All our money's going to burn up. All the bank are going to be leveled. Pardon me, hallelujah. With all respect and, you know, to all the bankers. It's not about the bank. It, it, money, it'll burn up. It, it'll, it'll cease to exist. In fact, I'm waiting any day for them to, to cancel all cash and just be all cashless. That's one of the things I'm waiting on. It's going to happen soon. And there's nothing you could do about it. Nothing I can do about it. But God knows. I just know he's coming real soon. And we've got to deal with this issue of pride in our hearts. Paul the apostle had to deal with it so much so that God did so many things to him. He, he had this aspect of pride in him. And, God, and, and he said God had to give him a thorn in the flesh to make sure that he, he doesn't get too proud. And if he had to have something like that, surely God gives us a thorn in the flesh, wouldn't he? Hallelujah. But see, in the end, God really wants all of us to come to the place where we rely on him. So many times we just think we got to do it all ourselves. And, and, and granted, there's, there's things we have to do. We have to pray and we have to act in faith about, about what God tells us to do. But don't just act on your own without praying about it. Don't, don't, don't do anything without being led by the Spirit and certainly not guided by the Word. And certainly not maybe sometimes in some important matters, ask the counsel of your spiritual mentor, your guide. Dare I say pastor? But I know I'm not everybody's pastor. It's a pastor who yield themselves. I don't demand it. It is a privilege to be where I'm at. And I'm here not because of my own calling, but because God called me and placed me here. I'm not any more than, than I make my... I know how to step away. If God calls me away, just so sit down, I'll sit down. I'll be happy to sing the songs of Zion. 
I'll be teaching home Bibles to the song with Brother Jeff. Maybe I'll join you in prison ministry. Thank you, Jesus. Hopefully as a visitor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But, see, in order to lose the self-sufficient mode, we got to move into prayer and fasting. That's why it's so important. You begin to pray more and fast. Read the Word of God. You begin to lose the self-sufficiency mode. You begin to see how much we really need God. Yes, He needs us for His work, but when we begin to do His will and when we become kind and, and generous towards others and when our lifestyle, change, lifestyle changes and, and we become more active in the work of God and we become more selfless in general, things change. Our perspective changes. And all of a sudden, we see that pride is no longer our master. But it's Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Our Lord, our Master, our Savior, He is the one. He guides us. He leads us. Oh God, help us to look inside our hearts. Jesus. Lord, help us to do the things that are pleasing in your sight. And Lord, we pray the prayer of David even as he looked to you and said, God, examine me. Look at my heart, Lord, to see if there's any wicked way found in me. And if there is, show me, Lord, that I can confess it, that I can change it with your help, because I can't do it by myself. I know my self-worth is rooted in you, Lord, and not by the things I own. It's not by my accomplishments. It's not the work that I do, Lord, but it's who I am in you. Lord, I thank you for this identity that I have in you. A child of the king. A king and a priest in your kingdom. Someone who has great value because you shed your blood for me and you covered me with that blood. And you cleansed me with that blood, that precious blood. And when you fill me with your spirit, you have put your seal of approval on me. And I became your child. Lord, help me to keep my heart right. Help me to follow after you with everything I have. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What song were you playing?